I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to uh, the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7. I'd like to start reading more than halfway through the chapter here at verse 36 to the end. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. Great and glorious creator of all, and yet attentive to the weak prayers of this thy children, we come in worship and adoration for you are worthy. You are so far beyond your holiness, so pure, so righteous. Oh, that each one of us are as that woman, filled with shame, and, Father, we pray that we could recognize 
the weight of our sins, and even greater, the depth of your grace that you have made available to us to forgive even our sins. Lord, we pray that our love may be stirred up, not out of duty and obligation, not out of fear and compulsion, but out of a glorious sense of unworthy, unworthiness and gratitude. Father, we pray that our lives also could be poured out at your feet without holding back. Lord, for you alone are worthy. Father, we pray for the many needs that have been brought. Before. Mentioned yet this morning, we think of Steve Delich and hanging between life and death. And Father, we pray that you would grant him a reprieve, that he may also be able to stand and testify the grace that has saved him. Lord, grant him that opportunity that he can glorify your name. Father, we pray, praise you for answering prayers. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in Lily Vukov, Lord, and bring her to, to healing in every sense of the word. And Father, we pray for um, those who are older, those who are unable to attend, those who are dealing with sickness in many forms. Father, we, you know who they are and the, and the problems they're facing. We think sp specifically of the um, Herngozo family who've lost their father. Pray that you would comfort them and strengthen them. Lord, we're so thankful that he has uh, gone to his reward. And we know that he cannot return to us, but we can go to him. And we pray that we would indeed prepare ourselves for that. <clears throat> Father, you know the needs of those who are who are yet resisting your truth. And we see the world stage rapidly changing. We see things moving swiftly to a climax, a climax that fits all that you have predicted in your word. Father, we pray that there could be a deeper sense of urgency, Lord, that there may not be much time to serve you, to express, to pour out that alabaster box at your feet lord now while we have an opportunity may we take advantage of it and those who have not yet chosen to accept that incredible gift lord that they would not delay because we are not given much time we don't know even whether we have the remainder of this day father we do pray for your spirit to work unhindered in this place and through this word and that you could accomplish your purposes in each one of our hearts. We yield them to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We who are familiar with the Bible and its stories 
sometimes are at a disadvantage when it comes to appreciating the shocking nature, the, the very real quality of all of the stories, all of the accounts of Jesus, what, what he experienced. You know, we, we kind of, we understand the, already the moral or the teaching behind the story, because we know the whole story, as it were, familiar with the Bible, and we kind of, our minds go right to that, and we, they kind of glide over the very real people, the very real situations that Jesus was in. And in so doing, I think what happens to us is that we maybe list, we lose or miss the real weight and the real power of this teaching. Because this same Jesus that had a shocking encounter here with this woman that we read is the same Jesus that wants to have the same type of shocking encounter with people today. Either as it is with the Pharisees to bring them up against their own distance from God, their own uh, nature of being divorced from the reality of God and who he is, or to bring people to reconciliation with him as this woman is, is, is indeed reconciled. So I think we, we tend to glide over these things sometimes and not think. And it maybe it takes a real event in our life, something happens in someone else's life that makes us think again about this story and say, that fits. Oh, I understand a little bit more, a little deeper what Jesus was talking about here, the real, the weight of this story. You know, this story is a shocking story. You know, we've all been to good, uh, um, nice, fancy dinners where everyone is well-dressed and the behavior, everyone's on their best behavior, the conversation is pleasant, they're not going too deep. And then just imagine something shocking like this ha happens. The, the word here says, for she was a sinner. If you think about it a little bit, everyone knew who this woman was. She had a reputation. And I don't think it's a, much of a stretch to say she was probably a, a woman of ill repute or someone that was known in that town for bad behavior that was well known and everyone knew. Can you imagine this pleasant dinner here where everyone's on their best behavior comes to a screeching halt in that moment when this woman shows up, this woman who everyone knows who she is. And in this place, in the Pharisee's house, where the Pharisees are, are um, all about God's law, following it to the nth degree down to how they divide their herbs in the garden. What a shock. This was brought home to me a little bit just reading recently the accounts, some of the details about those horrible um, murders in Saskatchewan just a couple weeks ago, the, the, the knife rampage, those two brothers. And I don't want to go into details. I will not. And it's, it's the numbers are 10 people dead, 15 injured. And as I read some of the details about these, these violent, horrible men who gave themselves repeatedly over to, to alcohol and to drugs until it ended in a in senseless carnage, I had a strong sense of revulsion just reading about what did these guys think, what, that, what they were doing. Couldn't they see 
just how harmful. And then I had to stop and think, and as I read that, okay, that, that's God's revulsion to sin in every one of us. That is God's, even this Pharisee in, in their twisted uh, uh, way of looking down on this woman, yeah, there was something right in what they said. What she'd done was wrong. She was a sinner. There was no denying it. She was a horrible sinner. But God, who is the perfect and righteous one, has that same sense of revulsion for sin for each one of us. You know, we look at these numbers here and go, 550, that's a big difference. Someone owing a debt of 500 pence, a pence or a denarius one day's wage, versus someone owing 50. You know, the difference actually between me and those now deceased brothers in, in Saskatchewan is more like a difference of a million to a million plus one in terms of our debt before God. We may look and say they did some very horrible things, some very uh, things that, that rightly make us all feel a sense of revulsion and horror. But in our fallen state, from our fallen mind, we, we don't even have a sense yet of the depth of the debt that we owe God, that each one of us owes God how much each one of us is in debt to him, the one who made us. Romans 3 lays it out very clearly. There is not one that has done righteous. No, not one. They are all gone out of the way. And the Pharisees, they didn't really believe that. They didn't see that. And as a result, they missed this man, Jesus, what he was offering, the true nature of God, who from that place of, of holy revulsion of sin now through this man Jesus, the God-man Jesus has, has made a way and, and offers forgiveness of sin because that's what those brothers in Saskatchewan needed. <laughs> they needed to understand this story. They needed to, 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 to meet this man Jesus and then everything would have been different. It would have been drastically different. They wouldn't have gone down the road that they went down. And you, my friend outside of Christ, you need the same thing. You need forgiveness of sin the forgiveness that Jesus offered to this woman that was so shocking. What is this forgiveness of sin? Why do we need it? You know, we may have the average quote-unquote good person may kind of squirm when you apply that label sinner and say you are a sinner or may compartmentalize that and say yes I understand in some sense that I'm a sinner just as everyone in mankind is a sinner but I don't think we have a true conviction of sin a true feeling of the weight of it until we begin to encounter God and begin to see who he is have some knowledge of him you know, we may have a general disquietude, a, uh, an unease. My conscience bothers me sometimes. I know I, I, you know I don't always live up to my own moral standards. There must be something flawed within me. But it isn't until we start to realize who God is, what he says about us, that the conviction of sin really starts to set in. And then it's only when we then try to do what is right. Really try. Really try. 
that we begin to feel the weight of sin. Just how much, how inescapable it is. How much we can't, everything we do in some sense always turns at some point. It always sours. The milk always curdles. The expiry date always comes. And then we begin to see this, this weight this Romans 7 struggle, this the good that I would, that I could not. The, the person that doesn't want to really acknowledge, deep down, that's what it is, acknowledge that they are a sinner in, in the truest sense of the word, in the sense of that this woman was a sinner in the sense that every fallen human being is a sinner. The person that doesn't want to acknowledge that doesn't really know God, doesn't really understand God's nature, doesn't really see who he is. And that, the more you go into Scripture, the, the more it becomes clear that this is really the nature of, of, of God that's, that's being spoken into our hearts here as we're convicted of sin. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he writes in Psalm 40, verse 12, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. This is a man who is under conviction of sin. Think of the, the hairs of the, that woman. So why do we need forgiveness of sin? There's another sense in which we are all separated from God by this very same thing, sin. And there has to be some dealing of it with it some final dealing with it the jews spent the entire old testament sacrificing animals sacrificing animals again and again and again and and the writer of hebrews says you know animals could not take away it could do nothing really then would they not have ceased to be offered hebrews 10 says for, it is, for in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So if we were just to look to the law and say, well, forgiveness of sins, I just have to sacrifice something. I have to do some act of penance. Something that will absolve me and make me right again with God. And not good enough doesn't result in forgiveness of sins in that final full sense of reconciliation with God. That same Psalm 40. This is why we say the whole book of, of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. That same Psalm 40 that we read from the writer of Hebrews in the same chapter 10 quotes and says, this is now the voice of Jesus speaking. Back to Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come 
in the volume of the book, throughout this whole scripture, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. This is Jesus speaking. And that's the writer of Hebrews 10. Read that chapter, the first part of the chapter. You'll see how he understands prophetically. This is Jesus saying, sacrifice, it was never enough. This would never deal with the forgiveness of sin. It would never get us to a point where we would be reconciled again with God. It had to be someone who had to come. Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. And this is the man that we read about this morning hour in this story who behaves in a way that is so different from the rest of humanity, from the natural state, our natural reaction to that sinner woman who we all know, the bad, wicked things, those men in Saskatchewan who did horrible things. This is the one now that offers. He's the only one that can offer forgiveness of sins. So this is how forgiveness of sins occurs through this man, Jesus Christ. And in that process of being forgiven for our sins, we are reconciled to God. Both things are dealt with in this man, Jesus. So we may say, yes, what is, we all, we all know, hopefully in this room, what, what I'm referring to it is, is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his sacrifice of sin, wasn't that good enough for the whole world? Wasn't that enough? In some sense, it is. Paul writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. This act, this one act in time, was sufficient, is sufficient for all of mankind. And yet, all of mankind is not reconciled. And yet, all of mankind has not come to Jesus Christ. What is it? What is that missing piece here? This woman found it. This sinner woman who was, if you would take a, a survey of the population, she was the farthest one from God, you'd say. If, humanly speaking, you'd look and see all the acts that, that the different people have done, you'd say, this woman is, there's no hope for her. She was the one that found it in a house full of righteous people. It was faith. She believed. And that is the difference. Jesus Christ did die for the whole world. But if I personally do not believe it, in the sense that this woman experienced it, in the same way, the same shocking way, if I do not believe that, it has no effect for me. It's as if my sins were not forgiven. There's no reconciliation. That's why repentance is equally as important, is, is, is as integral a part of this gospel story, this, this message of the gospel, as the death on the cross, as Jesus' resurrection. It's, it's essential. We need to come to this point of being that same, realizing we are the same as that woman. We are the same. We're, we're unworthy. We need to be poured out at his feet as the brother prayed in the prayer. So this forgiveness of sins that is preached about that after Jesus left, it was very clear that through this man, 
even through this man, forgiveness of sins is offered. It comes about as a personal encounter with him. And then what results from that? What does forgiveness of sins accomplish in our lives? Oh, it's beautiful. And, and Christ just holds up the, the example of these two people to Simon, and he knew completely what was in Simon's heart. He knew, just as he knows this morning, what's in your heart, what rationalization or what excuse you make for fully coming and surrendering to this and, and pleading for forgiveness of sins. He held a contrast there, and he said, look, look at your behavior towards me versus this woman's behavior towards me. Her sins have been forgiven. She is totally different. And this morning hour, I think that's one of the questions, too, we have to ask. If our devotion, our love to the Lord Jesus isn't the same in the same type, the same manner as this woman, do we really have forgiveness of sins? Do we really believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us? Has it really changed us? Is that flame of faith flickering? Come again to the foot of the cross. Come again to this man, Jesus, to what he has done for you specifically. The expression I heard is that his, your face flashed through his mind when he was suffering that death on the cross. You personally. This is the nature of the God that we serve, that he can know each one of us personally and died for each one of us personally too. So this forgiveness of sins changes everything. It, 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 um, it changes who we are. It changes how, I'm sure it changed how this woman thought of her sins. She realized, I I'm not bound by this anymore. I don't have to live this way anymore, and it doesn't define me anymore. Her relationship to her former life was completely cut because of forgiveness of sins. It was only because of forgiveness of sins, because she knew it had been dealt with. That this man, Jesus, who she didn't understand the full thing yet, it, it took Calvary, it took the empty tomb. She understood things were different now, and she could go in peace, knowing that her faith had saved her. My relationship to my former life, if I am truly forgiven, if I truly understand and believe that I am forgiven of my sins, it changes everything about how I view my past and its hold on me. I am completely free now. So, my brother and my sister, if we feel, again, that pull, the, the weighing down of the sins which do, doth so easily beset us, as, as Hebrews 12 says, you have to remember again, our sins were forgiven. It has been dealt with. We are like this woman. Now, the, the natural response is to turn and, and glorify and pour out, worship our Savior, our King, our Creator. I think the other thing that forgiveness of sins does is it changes our view, our perspective on other people. There's one man here, this Simon. His view of this woman was a certain way. Can't imagine, well, I can't imagine how that woman, after she had been forgiven of her sins, must have felt 
to others that had been in the same situation as she had been in. The knowledge of, oh, if you only knew this man Jesus, what he did for me. If you only knew, you would be free too. I'm sure she didn't think, I've been forgiven, look at those other sinners that are that used to be part of and look down on them. No, no, that's not the nature of the forgiveness of sins. It changes how we look at other people because it changed us completely. It leveled us all. We all needed it. We all want to extend it to other people, to have them also come to this man, Jesus. I think sometimes we live our lives forgetting this reality of just how much has been done for us as believers, as those that claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That we have been forgiven such a great debt. Now, the point of this story isn't to, to, to walk away and say, well, I didn't really do a whole lot of bad things like this woman and so uh, it's too bad. I, I can't love God in the same way that someone who's done a lot of bad things can love God. No, that's not the point of the story at all. If we think that, oops, we missed. We missed the point of this story. Is hope, pure and simple. The worst sinner. And you know, in some sense, we're all the worst sinner. You know, it's no use comparing. It's no use looking at the person beside me and saying, I'm not as bad as. In some sense, we are all the worst. The point is, there's hope for the worst. And as long as I don't see myself as the worst, as long as I temporize, as long as I do some comparative putting other people down, basically, I can't experience this, 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 this setting free that this woman experienced as she walked away and realized there is nothing that's holding me back anymore. There is nothing that condemns me. But I, I will say this. It does take desperation. You think about that woman, the courage that it took to enter that house with those men she knew were, would look down and condemn. Why would she go there? The only reason that she would go there is that she had no other option. She knew only this man, Jesus, had shown her something different than anyone else, completely and radically different. And he in himself was completely different too. He was pure in a way that no other person was. He was sinless in a way that, that no, he was radically different. Previous chapters in Luke say, virtue went out of him and healed all of them. This man was so different. And that's what drove her. Desperation and true desire. And my friend outside of Jesus Christ, who has not experienced the forgiveness of your sins, cannot completely say, yes, I believe my sins are forgiven. They have no more hold on me. I am reconciled to God. Come. What else? What other option do you have? What else? What other thing for your life are you going to plan and do? Where else are you going to go? Come to Jesus. There's a hymn we sing.
sometimes in the gospel hymns. Also written by John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. I'd like to read the four stanzas here. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Now ye needy, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Did you, did you get the sense of the, the, the syntax is a little bit convoluted there? You've got to parse it. True belief and true repentance, you think, okay, I have to truly believe and I have to truly repent, and then I can come to Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Christ can give you those things. As you come to him, he can help you to make true repentance, to realize just who you are. I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount, and you realize just who we are apart from him. You can experience true repentance as you come to him. It's not a matter of, I have to have these things in order before I come to Christ, before I believe in him. No, it is in his presence. It is as you come to his feet that true belief and true repentance occur. Come to Jesus Christ and buy. But what will keep you back? Verse 3 says, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. Think, here the old English talking about, oh, I'm thinking just down the road I will be better and I will have these things figured out and then I will come. No, that's a, that's a fond dream. All the fitness he requireth, requireth is to feel your need of him. Just that. What else did this woman offer? What else, what else did she bring to Jesus? She just knew she needed forgiveness. That was it. This he gives you, tis the Spirit's glimmering beam. Even that, that awareness of my great need, that's the Spirit's work, working within you, starting. It requires a response, but we can't take credit for anything. It's God's doing. Verse 4. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. And the older we get, we start to realize this is what sin does to all of mankind. We are all twisted and broken and bruised in some sense by sin. We all need that forgiveness. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. My friend outside of Christ, I pray this morning hour, that you would have seen this man Jesus in this story that we read, that you would have seen what he is offering, and you've, that you would have seen the only way to approach this man Jesus. It's like this woman, weeping over your sins, coming to his feet, adoring him. That doesn't earn you salvation. He has forgiven you already. The, the work of the cross has been done. He has paid the price. There's nothing further you can add to that. But it will have no effect on you until you come to the foot of the cross, to the foot of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus. May the Lord bless this word.
Stand with me for a moment in your mind's eye outside the door with the woman as she debated with herself, should I enter in? Can you imagine the turmoil that she felt? In her hands, something worth a year's wages that she was now going to waste in a but what would it give her? We studied this past week of how all the things we have, our material possessions, are fleeting, are, are decaying, are, and she knew that these things never made her happy. She needed, she needed peace, she needed forgiveness, she needed to, to penetrate the dark cloud of shame, but, but what may have held her even more is but, but to go in there, to know exactly what these men, these self-righteous men that were thinking of her, to judge her, to, to, to leave behind every shred of self-respect and to be exposed in the sight of critical, judgmental, hypocritical. My dear friend, I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, what Satan is using, but it's probably related to pride. It's probably related to, to that unwillingness to, to let that alabaster shatter. The, 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 the image, all that you've curated, and to allow the contents to flow. But that's where she found a treasure, a treasure. Those men with all their rich, fancy cutlery and, 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 and fancy manners never had a glimpse of to, to be sold. You are forgiven. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. That's the treasure. My dear friend, do not let pride keep you agonizing outside the door. Enter in and find the true treasure. With that, we'd conclude this morning's service.